0: Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more, and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast.
1: A production of John Bald Baldface Truth.
0: Yeah, I think people uh, look at athletes, for high-level professional athletes, and often think, oh, so much of it comes naturally to them. I love what Stephen was sharing in that last segment about The players who also put in the work, who also have that chip on their shoulder or maybe that inner drive, you know, that that ability to uh, to be maniacal, monomaniacal, literally singularly focused on an outcome or or uh, or a result that they want. Bill Walton, you know him you love him we've had him on this show numerous times over the years and uh he is uh, always entertaining to me but he's also not for everyone you know I every time I bring up Bill Walden or I write a column about Bill Walden saying how great he is how much I look forward to seeing him on the broadcast and you know he's for me I like I like Bill Walden I like having him on the show I like watching him on TV if you uh, if there's a book about Bill Walden I'm gonna I'm gonna read it if there's a documentary about Bill Walden I'm gonna watch it Steve James created the iconic hoop dreams documentary he's got a new documentary coming out it's called the luckiest guy in the world it focuses on legendary NBA Hall of Famer and Resident Deadhead Bill Walden The broadcast premiere is coming up June 6th. It's a four-part series. First two episodes will air back-to-back on ESPN 30 for 30. The concluding two episodes will air the following week, June 13th, 5 o'clock p.m. Pacific time. Steve James, Chicago-based Steve James, is the creator of this. He goes back to hoop dreams, and uh, he's joining us now. Steve, thank you for making time for us.
1: Yeah, great to be here. Thank you.
0: Give us an idea. What you know in your mind? Are you just watching Walden? Like you know, are you uh, in a haze listening to the Grateful Dead? And you go, you know what? I need to do. How did this come to you?
1: Uh, no, no, no haze. Um, <laughs> ESPN approached me a few years ago, back in 2020, actually, and and said that um, they were hoping that they could make a film about Bill. Uh, particularly focusing on the Portland 76-77 championship team, which you may have heard of, um, and uh, and was I interested? And I said, well, I, I'm 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 interested in Bill Walton. I have followed him, you know, his whole career, so I'm interested. But I, but let me read his memoir. And so I went and read his memoir, and I got back to them and I said, yes, I'd love to do this, but here's the thing. I don't want to just focus on that championship season, as great as it is. I really want to get my arms around the whole Bill Walton story, if, if that's at all possible, and if, and if he'll let us do that. And so they were game, and Bill ultimately was game, and so here we are with this four-part <laughs> uh, docuseries. Now, the Portland years, plural, are, are a big part of it. In fact, I use those Portland years to really frame – the first three episodes of of the series, because I really think that kind of everything that happened to Bill for good and for bad happened during those you know three years that he uh or four years really right four years that he played uh for the for the trailblazers
0: his you know when I bring him on the show, I ask maybe uh two three questions, and the rest of the twenty minutes is me sitting back yeah. and listening to Walton. And- did it start yeah. as a four-part series, or was it just going to be one part, <laughs> and you were like, you know, <laughs> how did that go? Uh, well, I,
1: um, you know, if ever there's a filmmaker that was made to to do Bill's story, because I like I like doing long stuff. I've done a number of miniseries lately, uh, and Hoop Dreams is not short. Um, you know, I'm probably the guy. I, I think I knew all along that it wanted to be more than a standalone film, and not just because Bill likes to talk, um, but because there's so much to tell in that story. But you're right. Um, you know, a lot of times in these sports biographies, because I've watched a bunch of them, you know, they'll sit down with the main subject for one long interview or maybe a couple of long interviews typically. Um, we did about 12 interviews with mm-hmm. Bill. Uh because I knew that there would be no way to kind of get the full story in one sitting. Uh, not, not, not the way Bill tells tell stories. And so you see him in a variety of interview settings, talk, taking us, taking you through just different parts of his life. And he loved, he loved to know what was going to be the topic of that particular interview so that he could pick the right t-shirt to wear. Um, <laughs> whether it was a Grateful Dead t-shirt, one of his favorites, or when we talked about Grateful Dead, or it was a, a Celtic green when we talked about his years with the Celtics, or, you know, the Clipper years. I mean, he he was always like, okay, I need to pick the right t-shirt. And, of course, you probably know he has probably 10,000 t-shirts, so I only saw a fraction of them, but but, um, but there you go.
0: We're talking to Steve James, filmmaker, the Luckiest Guy in the World is a four-part series. First two episodes of uh, the Bill Walton uh, documentary will air on uh, coming up on uh, June 6th. And then the second two episodes the following week on June 13th. Um, the Wilds of Oregon. Does he get into that, you know, his time spent in Oregon? Because in a lot of ways I feel like he was made for this state. And I'm glad he spent some yeah. time here
1: yeah absolutely. well, we we began the film with Bill down by the river there in Portland. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, he he really appreciated the opportunity to to because we went we went out to you know, and unfortunately, I can't remember the name, but we went out to a state park near there to access the river. and you know, it'd been a long time since he'd been in that setting because of his feet. You know, he, he can't, he can't hike. He can't do that. And so we helped him get down there and he was really, I think, moved and appreciative of the opportunity to sit by the river in that way, because we have footage of him from those early years in Portland doing the very same thing, hiking down by the river on his bike. Um, And so it was, I was determined to, to you know revisit those memories with him, and to try to do them in the setting where those th- those experiences happened and um and so we were able to do that so yes that's a that's a big part of the story. The other thing we do in this in this film, which is not again not it's not typically done in these sports biopics, is that we just hang with him mm-hmm. um, we hang with him as he goes around to. Some of the old homes he lived in in Portland, which of course no pro basketball player would ever live in those kind of homes today. Um, we we went to a Wallace Park Court, um, and he started retrieving rebounds for a couple of young ball players who were who were there shooting, uh, who at first had no idea who this guy was, um, and you know. We so we trail him around so that you can get a sense of what Bill's life is like today. Um, we 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 went with him to visit his mother, who he always dutifully went to see while she was alive, and so we we got a great sweet little scene with her and Bill before she passed away. Um, so it's a you know it's a very intimate kind of portrait. Um, I think for people who don't like Bill Walton, this will not be for them. <laughs> You know, we're, this is not an expose on Bill Walton. Um, I don't think there's an expose to be done. But, but you know, it's it's a very entertaining, I think it's a very poignant and frank and often quite funny, um, you know, account of his life and, and the people he knew and played against.
0: Filmmaker Steve James, our guest. Uh, the documentary is called The Luckiest Guy in the World. It's on Bill Walton. Um, the Grateful Dead, the soundtrack uh, of this docu series i'm i 'm assuming the Grateful Dead comes up in it. What is it about yes. the Grateful Dead do you think that connects with Walton
1: well I think you know I think what it is is and he talks about the Grateful Dead in the series and yes we we have a lot of Grateful Dead in in the show, which was great to be able to do um You know, I think the Grateful Dead for him, not only did he just love the music itself and the lyrics, you know, the, the, what, what the music was about. I think he just loved the way in which the Grateful Dead were as a band that, and he equates the Dead to a basketball team, you know, the way in which every part works together and that, and that for him, every concert, uh, is is different. Much like every basketball game is different. You know, when I when I asked him, you know, how could you possibly want to go to over a thousand Grateful Dead concerts in your life, which is what he's been to, he says, well, I've seen, I've been to thousands of basketball games and I'm still doing it because they're all different, and that's true of the Grateful Dead now you know and then i think it's also this the the vibe it's 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 a religious experience for him and the other deadheads to be there it's a transcendent experience and and basketball for bill was a transcendent experience so he he equates the dead to basketball in a, in a in a very interesting way in the docu series
0: i think it's fascinating because you know i got a chance to see some of the uh, the footage uh, of the four part series, and and for Portland fans in particular, if you're a Blazer fan, I think it's a must watch. And you're going to see yeah um you're going to see images that uh, you know you you probably didn't even know existed. We've all seen sort of the same stuff over and over again. There's new material in here that that I hadn't seen before in being here in 20 years. Steve, uh, how hard was it for you to get some of the footage from that era, and maybe even? from his time, you know, in college and, and x-rays and all the stuff that you are, were able to sort of obtain to do this series?
1: Yeah, it, it, um, it was a challenge. Um, we had a terrific um, archival producer, two guys who, who really just beat the bushes um, for what was out there, and we were never satisfied with just getting something we always wanted the best that, that we could find. I mean, there's some phenomenal protest footage in this from his days at UCLA. Um, there's great footage from the Portland years. Uh, yeah, I mean, we just we we turned over every stone in search of it. And um, and Bill, you know, Bill and his lovely wife Lori, of 30 years, were incredibly helpful to us in terms of putting us in touch with um, some people who who had stuff and and you know, opening up their their vast library of, of photographs to us as well. And, and letting us, letting us use those in the series. Um, Yeah. It's one of the, it's one of the pleasures I think of the series is, is that it, it really is a film that takes you back. Um, You know, a lot of times people use archival footage just to illustrate voiceover, but we really, we really wanted it to have its own life and, and take you back to that time and, and make you feel what he felt, you know, when he was coming through.
0: I was talking to Sally Jenkins, the author, uh, last hour about, you know, how do you know what to leave out of a book? Imagine uh, the cutting room floor on this documentary was rich as well. How do you know what to leave out when it comes to something like this?
1: Well, um, you know, some people will accuse me of not leaving anything out, which is why I (laughs) make a four-part docu-series. Um, you know, I feel very satisfied with what what we what we made here. Um, I feel like we, you know, of course, you always leave things out. You leave great stories out. He tell he told this great story that's not in the, in the series about when he was at UCLA uh, after the junior year championship game. The great, you know, twenty one for twenty two from the field game, forty four points, and he was, um, you know, he was staying. He was staying in a, in a fancy hotel room because the hotel room that the, the team had been set up in didn't have beds long enough. And so uh, they, <laughs> they took care of Bill and they got him a much better hotel room. Uh, and so the ABA uh, representatives approached him, um, you know, to try to get him to, to leave early and go play in the ABA. And he tells that story. I, I would have loved to put that in there, but you know, I couldn't get everything in. You know, of course, when Bill tells the story, the ABA showed up with a with a briefcase full of cash, uh, like the Mafia would do. <laughs> Maybe that's true. Maybe that's true. But you know, Bill Bill is a storyteller. Yeah. So I, I'm not I'm not sure how true that was, but I do know the ABA offered him an enormous for that time an enormous amount of money. To turn pro, and he said no.
0: Dave Pash, his uh, broadcast partner on a lot of the basketball broadcasts, has come on the show and talked about what it's like to work with him. You addressed yeah. sort of the polarizing, you know, viewing experience that Walton can be in the piece. Um, I love that yeah. you did that.
1: Yeah, I, I think it was important to do that, you know, because and and Dave uh, Dave Pash, of course, is in the film uh, talking about uh, that working experience with Bill. Um, and the challenges of it and the joys of it, but yeah, I think it was important i think it was important to sort of really see the way in which bill, as a broadcaster, is both loved and not so loved um, and and he knows that right I mean he knows that about himself, and he 's not going to change he's he 's decided this is who he is, and that this is how he wants to 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 do that job, and that 's the way he does it and um you know i thought I thought one of one of my favorite comments of that whole section is from Andy Hill, who is perhaps maybe bill 's closest friend, if not the closest one of his closest friends for the last fifty years. Andy was on the team at u c l a and you know sat on the bench, but what you know became close with bill and Andy talks about how friends will complain to him about bill the broadcaster and he tells them do you guys not realize he's my he's a he's my closest friend just turn the volume down that's what i do (laughs) and and the fact that andy says as his closest friend that he turns the volume down sometimes i think tells you all you need to know
0: (laughs) i love that uh look uh, you've done a whole bunch of great projects and and for people listening, it's not just Hoop Dreams. The Prefontaine movie in 1997, uh, you, you directed that. Um, did you have fun doing the, uh, the feature film on Pre?
1: I absolutely did, yeah. Um, that was a project that came along. You know, I was a track and field fan, but only in the most casual sense. And I knew Pre, and I knew why he was important. But it was a great opportunity for me to really learn his story, and, um, you know, we, we, were, we were able to cast some of his um, his actual teammates in the film, which was a lot of fun. Um, and it was great to spend the time. You know, of course, the story is we weren't able to shoot the film in Portland. Uh, we weren't able to shoot the film at Hayward Field in Eugene because yeah. uh, because of the other Free Fontaine movie, uh, Without Limits, hmm. they basically bought out hayward field for the entire summer to prevent us from going there really (laughs) yeah so it was it was quite an ordeal we were the we were the pt boat boat version of pre-story compared to the aircraft carrier that was without limits but yeah um but we you know we told our story and it was a great story to tell and i know he remains an iconic figure in all of Oregon.
0: Yeah, I think you know too. It's really interesting. I keep thinking about like in this world of name, image, likeness, you've got Walton and Pre, probably two guys that had they been along in a different time, would have been pioneers in that area.
1: Absolutely. Well, and I and I think one of the things you see in the series, um, you, particularly strongly in episode two, when we get into Bill's activism, um, both at UCLA, and in Portland and the whole debacle of the Patty Hearst Symbionese Liberation Army story. Um, I think one of the things you see is, is that Bill really was one of the most outspoken white athletes. I want to, I want to, I want to say white because there've been so many significant black outspoken athletes in, in American sports. But not many whites, it's particularly on political issues. And I think he qualifies as one of the most outspoken white athletes that we've ever had in professional sports. And so I thought it was very important for you to see that part of who he was back in those days.
0: I love it. Uh, you know, look, I've I got a peek at it. I can't wait for everybody else to see it. Uh, it will air episodes one and two of the four-part Bill Walton docuseries will air on the 6th of June. I uh, really appreciate you making time, Steve. It is called The Luckiest Guy in the World. It focuses on uh, your resident deadhead, uh, Bill Walton, Hall of Famer. Steve James, thank you. Congrats on the, on the project. I look forward to everybody seeing it. I think it will be really well received.
1: Thank you. Great to hear. Uh, and I'm sure you've heard him say he's the luckiest guy in the world before, right?
0: Yeah, 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 among other things. <laughs> <laughs> Among other things, I, I'm just glad I'm glad he got healthy, right? Because I know there was a period yeah. there. I know I was trying to get him on the show for a while, and he would just write back, "I am in miserable pain," and yeah. I was like, "Gosh, and we, you know." And,
1: and we deal with that. We deal with that in episode four, I think, quite quite significantly. Um, that time in 2008, 2009, when his back gave out, and he didn't think he was he would even walk again. No. Um, so we, we deal with that, and 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 his wife, Lori, speaks about it and other close friends. I mean, you know, this is a film, you know, this is a series where we interview some great people, you know, like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Larry Bird and Robert Parrish and Dr. J, you know, rivals as well as teammates uh, from his career. But we also... We also speak to people who are very close to him and, and, and can speak to those difficult uh, times in his life and not just have Bill have to speak to it. So,
0: Steve, I appreciate you. Thank you for uh, making time for us.
1: Thank you for having me on.
0: Steve James, filmmaker, Bill Walton documentary series, The Luckiest Guy in the World, June 6th, ESPN. Leave it here. I appreciate good marketing when I, uh, when I see good marketing. I also know when it's jumped the shark. The NBA, the NBA Finals in particular, NBA Finals. We got game one coming up tonight. Yeah, it's game one tonight. Uh, and uh, in Denver, featuring the Nuggets and the Miami Heat. Uh, did you see how the Larry O'Brien trophy uh,
2: reached the NBA Finals, Stephen? I did, and um, I, I, I didn't actually watch the video. But I saw a tweet about it, and I said, that's enough for me. Uh, same
0: thing for me. I got a... Uh, A news release, 3 o'clock today, and uh, from the NBA, email came in. It's a bird, it's a plane, and I went, oh no. And it's the NBA Finals. By the way, the NBA Finals being presented by YouTube TV this year. Uh, But the Larry O'Brien Trophy, the trophy that will go to the winner of the NBA Finals, apparently was delivered to downtown Denver via a skydiver. This is the most YouTube TV ever thing, ever. The Skydive um, basically, uh, they said it was a month-long bucket list. They're trying to get the Larry O'Brien trophy some, some, uh, some run. Like Everybody knows what the Super Bowl trophy looks like. I, I don't know. I think basketball fans know what the Larry O'Brien trophy is. Do you think they know that? Do you think the average Blazer fan knows that that trophy that's in the trophy case at the practice facility... Is the Larry O'Brien Trophy, or do they just go? That's the championship trophy.
2: I, th- I would say m- a lot more people. I think it's just the championship trophy. Yeah.
0: Well, they got this thing being paraded around the country, motorcycled, car. It. Uh, they put it on Instagram, Twick, TikTok, uh, Twitter, Facebook. But they sky They're skydiving in the trophy. Now, I would have been impressed if it was just the trophy, skydiving in. But it's not. It's some guy wearing a motorcycle helmet who's got the trophy strapped to his chest. He's jumping out of a purple plane. and it harnessed, uh, you know, he's got a harness around this thing. And there are two other skydivers who are wearing Denver Nuggets and Miami Heat jerseys who are skydiving in with him. They uh, land outside uh, Empire Empower Field uh, at, at Mile High. And... Uh, Malika Andrews, the uh, University of Portland grad and ESPN host, is basically there to greet the trophy. And then she drives the trophy along with a police escort to Ball Arena. And uh, apparently, they're going to continue the gimmick throughout the finals. The NBA Final Trophy has a Twitter account uh, at NBA Final Trophy. I'm uh, it only has 3512 followers. I say only, but you would think that the trophy for the league would have a bigger following. It doesn't. I actually they make it kind of look like a person, which is weird to me. It almost looks like a like about a 6-year-old or an 8-year-old who has a skydiving instructor strapped to its back because it almost has like a, you know, because they're protecting it, I guess. They must be bundling it with something, some kind of protective uh, bubble wrap or whatnot. It's weird to me. This is weird. This is like, you know, might as well have Jack in the Box jump out of the, Jack from Jack in the Box jump out of the plane with the trophy. Like, might as well go all the way if you're jumping the shark. Sell the uh, sell the rights to jump out <laughs> to somebody as you're jumping out. I'm sure it's a Kia that they're going to drive it around with. But they took it to the Eiffel Tower. They took it to the beach in Brazil. They took it, you know, I I, I just, I I shouldn't even be giving this publicity. It's so bad. I don't know. It reminds me, like, as, as far as TV marketing campaigns that just didn't land, people may remember Quizno had this little, you know, Quizno the sandwich place, Quiznos, had this little... Rat-like creature we've talked about it on the show before. It was a rat-like you know um, mascot, a singing rodent, more or less. And I get it the Chihuahua was a, was a big deal for Taco Bell. Remember the uh, Chihuahua had a kind of a had a little run for Taco Bell. you care had, Taco Bell Yeah, and that worked for me because there was there was sort of a uh, there was a theme there. It wasn't just a dog it was a chihuahua and you know and he there was sort of a correlation to mexican food loosely or americanized mexican slop food which is what taco bell really is you know late night mexican food and and so the chihuahua worked but the quizno rodent this small furry creature we- wearing like a bowler hat and he was singing it did not it was not an appetizing thing for me and, and as misfires go, it was kind of like when Coke introduced new Coke. And a lot of people think that was a conspiracy theory. But I don't know what happened to that little rat rodent Quizno mascot, but it needed to go away. It looked like a deformed rat. And that doesn't, that doesn't make me want a sandwich. I don't think I ate another sandwich at Quizno's after seeing that campaign. It was bad. It was really bad. There, there's some good marketing you know, we have great examples here in the state of Oregon with, with good marketing and Nike and you know, Widening Kennedy and great ad agency and you know, there was there's you know, I, I saw Pacific Seafoods did a did a spot during the basketball season. Anna and I did a little voice track for it and and I, I was like, Well what is the spot? And they showed us the spot and it was it was Peyton Pritchard who was in like the kitchen with a chef. And I was like, okay, that works. Like that's kind of funny. Like Peyton Pritchard with a sushi chef, met, you know, in Pacific Seafood. Okay, that that works. It's not a singing rat. That doesn't make me want to eat. So I Quizno was a misfire. I kind of think this NBA Finals thing, it's a reach for me. You know, I I don't get it. The bucket list. Like the NBA Finals trophy showed up at the Memorial Tournament. You know, it 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 just started popping up all over the place. Like everywhere that. ABC or ESPN was broadcasting on the PGA tour in you know Rio at an event. you know it, the script spelling bee it showed up at the script Spelling bee. Uh, it just doesn't it didn't work for me. I, I think there was a better way. There was a better way to do this. Maybe you know I, I actually like you know the Heisman house and, and how they uh, they had all the the former Heisman Trophy winners as if they were living in the Heisman house and that whole campaign Nissan did, I, I liked that. It worked for me. Like, you know, the Heisman House, the Heisman Trophy. Oh, they all live there. You know, where is the Heisman House? Oh, it's in Nashville. Oh, who's living there? You know, and and I think those commercials work for me. You see, like, Derrick Henry and Kyler Murray and Tim Tebow, you know, who are all, like, hanging out. And, and every, you know, everybody's like, okay, that works. But this thing doesn't work for me. Why not, why not just have the Larry O'Brien Trophy, like, why don't we just show everywhere it's recently been? Like LeBron's sitting at home and he's got the trophy with him, and then you go back, Steph Curry and Dr- or Draymond Green's got the trophy with him. You know, he's buckling it into his car and he's going. You know, he's going to the grocery store. Like he, that, that would have been a more effective marketing campaign for me. I don't know.
2: I'm gonna have, just to, I, me. I'm gonna have to show my kids the video and see if they like it because maybe it's for them. I don't know because I'm with you. I don't get it either. Like what? I don't, like what's the point of it? Are we trying to, you know act like the Larry B- O'Brien trophy is our friend? Like, is that what we're trying to do? We're trying to feel good for it, that it went skydiving? I don't know. Like, it's it's not a person, so I can't really, like, feel for it.
0: Well, here's here's what I think it's about. YouTube TV, you know, that's kind of the the new thing with the NBA Finals, is that it's presented by YouTube TV. So I'm gathering that they were spitballing with the people at YouTube TV going, okay, what... What are the kind of videos that people post on YouTube TV or what do you see on YouTube that, you know, you don't see on mainstream TV? Like maybe they should have just had a bunch of cat videos and the Larry O'Brien trophy sitting around. And maybe it would have been like the cats of YouTube along with like Draymond Green's got a cat, you know, and, oh, Draymond, let me show you. Let me meet my cat. And the Larry O'Brien trophies in the background.
2: That would have been better for me. I actually think that would be better, yeah. It's a much better idea than what they're doing.
0: They need to come to the show for the ideas. But here's here's because the, the press release, I think, says it all. So the press release just say says, the, the NBA's Larry O'Brien trophy has reached a new and extreme height by skydiving into downtown Denver to arrive for Game 1 of the NBA Finals presented by YouTube TV. Tips off tonight. Bob, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's the video. Now, they say the skydive was executed in celebration of the start of the NBA Finals, featuring the Nuggets and the Heat. And it culminates a month long bucket list that has seen Larry O'Brien's, the Larry O'Brien trophy, engage with fans and celebrities at some of the most prestigious events and iconic landmarks before reaching its ultimate destination the hands of the 2023 NBA champion. Now, in order to, like, for me, a bucket list, you know, I don't know what a bucket list is for you. But for me, a bucket list is these are the things I want to do before I die. Like, is Larry O'Brien, like, does the Larry
2: O'Brien trophy, did it get diagnosed with a terminal illness? Could they be changing the name for some reason? Michael Jordan, Bill Russell, something like that?
0: It was on the Pat McAfee show. Like, that would be on the bucket list for Larry O'Brien trophy? I don't think so. You know, it was at the Indy 500. Okay, maybe it, maybe it really wanted to go to the Indy 500, but but the the trophies for these other events like the Indy 500 or you know Monday Night Raw, the championship belt for the WWE thing, um, you know Stanley Cup Finals, PGA Championship, those trophies aren't coming to the NBA Finals. So are we saying that the Larry O'Brien Trophy isn't as big a deal as the other trophies like? Well- is it, you know, though?
2: It's probably not, though. I mean, if you think about just the major sports, what the iconic trophies is, the NBA would be towards the bottom, right? Like, the Stanley Cup is probably the most noticed, like, trophy, right?
0: They took a picture at the PGA Championship of the Wanamaker Trophy, which is the trophy for the PGA Championship, alongside the Larry O'Brien Trophy. And I got to tell you, the Wanamaker's a little more impressive.
2: You know? <laughs> just saying. Well, Bigger's, it was not, the, Bigger's not always better, John.
0: It, it was at the Greek Theater. Um, the Jonas Brothers are pictured kissing it. I don't know. I've done stories on people who have terminal illnesses in sports and sports fans, and they will say, here's my bucket list. Like, I had this doctor one time who lived in Clackamas, Oregon, who's a doctor at Kaiser. Uh, Jeffrey Werner was his name. He had terminal cancer. Okay. He knew he was dying. He had a bucket list. And. On his bucket list, he had, he wanted to make a, he wanted to see Dan Dickow make a three point shot. It was a pretty cool bucket list item, like very unique, very specific. And so he asked me, because Nate McMillan was the Blazers coach at the time, he said, will you go, will you ask Nate, you know, when Dickow's going to play so I can be at the game to see him hit a three? And so I go to Blazers practice. And that's a totally reasonable request, right, from somebody who's dying. I was like, yeah, you know what, I'll ask him. And, you know, so I go to Blazers practice, and I pull Nate McMillan aside, and I said, Nate, um, I said, I have a weird question for you. I don't want to ask you in front of everybody else. I said, but do you know maybe when Dan out might get into a game? Because I got this cardio uh, cardiologist named Dr. Jeffrey Warner who says – you know, he would like to see Dan Dickow make a three. It's on his bucket list, and he, d- he doesn't have the time to go to, like, eight games waiting for you to play Dickow. Like, do you know, is there a game on the schedule where you could kind of anticipate Dan might get into the game? And Nate looked at me, and he said, he better come to practice. <laughs> and so Dr. Werner came to a Blazers practice. I introduced him to Nate McMillan. He came with me. I said, Nate, Dr. Werner, Dr. Werner, Nate. And then Dr. Werner pulled me aside, and he says, I don't know how to tell you this. He said, uh, when Nate was with the Sonics, he had a heart issue. And I was the cardiologist that the Sonics brought in to look at his EKG. And he says, Nate doesn't know that. And I said, you should tell him that. And so the doctor was like, I don't know. You know, I don't know if I should you know, make a big deal about it, whatnot. Anyway, Dan Dickow comes out of the court. I introduce him to Dr. Werner. And then I'm standing there with Nate. And I said, Nate, I, said, I know something about your medical history I shouldn't know. Doctor wants to talk to you afterwards. And Nate was looking at me like, you know, Nate was a very private person. And he's, like, looking at me funny, and I said, just bear with me here. So Dick out just takes a couple dribbles, talks to the doctor, shoots a three, boom. Doctor thanks him, takes a picture with him, says, bucket list, now on to my next thing, which was he wanted to go to Hawaii and catch the wind in a gourd. And he did that, you know? I, and I guess it's a thing. You go to the tip of one of the islands, the big island or something, and you hold up a gourd, the Hawaiians who are listening to the show know what I'm talking about. And you catch the wind in a gourd. That was the next thing on his list. Nowhere on his list did he say, I want to see the Larry O'Brien Trophy skydive. It's not a bucket list item. The um, NBA, come on.
2: Are we going to start seeing just more dumb ideas now that the NFL Sunday tickets go into YouTube TV? Are we going to be be marched out a bunch of NFL stuff like this, too?
0: But you might be right. It might not be made for us. Maybe the kids are going to be like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe the trophy sky took a skydive came right into the arena. Anyway, the doctor pulled McMillan aside and said, Nate, you know, you had a heart issue with the Sonics. Nobody ever knew about it. And Nate says, yeah, I did. I I, I was scared. Like, you know, I had a heart condition and we were kind of worried, like, would I, Would was this going to cause me to never play again? And he said, uh, you know, the doctor, the cardiologist told him, you know, uh, ironically, I was brought in to consult on that and I looked at your EKG and I looked, you know, I did sort of the background work on it that determined you were okay to play. And so they, ha- they kind of had a moment. It was one of these weird things. So there, it was, there was some soul to it. It was a little soulful. This thing with uh, the- We
2: interrupt this podcast with a special announcement from the Bald hey, Face
0: Sorry Trump to interrupt Florida. the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.